All right, we're on uh, Matthew chapter 7. We are still on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a couple chapters long. And uh, chapter 7, verse 7. Uh, something I wanted to, I didn't get to finish up about 6. Uh, it's a little important part there I didn't get to when we left. Uh, remember verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and don't throw your pearls before the swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn tear you to pieces. Now, I went through all this. And, uh, it, you know, there's a whole lot of ways you can read that. And there's, it's a truth that be, could be expressed in different situations. Um, uh, it's, remember, we're still dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, one could be overly zealous in the pursuit of souls and uh, bend your own uh, inclinations about what you should, who you should be talking to and what you should be saying. Uh, it's just saying be wise, but there is a serious warning there that I didn't get to, and that warning is serious. Jesus is saying this is serious business. He's saying uh, accepting the insincere as sincere inside the church, those who say they are but they're not, which he later calls wolves in sheep's clothing. It says they will tear you to pieces. So it's not just that you're wasting your time. <laughs> it's not just that you're annoying them. It's dangerous. Um, we tried to, uh, we should have learned this lesson. Through the 70s and the 80s, uh, when uh, the Christian church, would, however that you accept that to be, became a political movement. Um, the moral majority, and I'm not just focusing on them, I'm just using that phrase as, and it became a political power that um, started to use the kingdom of God for political gain. And the truth of the matter is, we should never do that. And we started to spread that out into society. And that's not something we should have done. Uh, we did harm with it. And now we're sort of reaping the benefit, the, I mean, the... Uh, the whirlwind from it because it turns around that the people on the other side of us are now doing the same thing we did once they got a little bit of political clout. Uh, we taught them to do it and now they're doing it to us and that should always be a reminder to us that if the political tide changes not to do that anymore, not to try to force people to do Christian stuff. Uh, the church should do Christian stuff. Uh, the world is the world and until the world becomes and I'm not saying don't vote your conscience. I'm saying you can't force people. You can't force this into a Christian nation, if you know what I mean. You, you can't legislate it into happening. Uh, so there's just, because what happens is it gets dangerous, and you hurt people, and then they turn around and hurt you. And uh, be content with the kingdom. Uh, really try not to integrate your spirituality with politics. In politics, do what's right because it's right. You, you, you don't need another reason. Um, you don't need to make people believe what you believe. There is nothing in Scripture that tells us to try to force people to believe what we believe. Nothing. So we need to take that into point. And just like I said, uh, that warning is pretty dire. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll chew you up, man. Don't do it. Um, 
And the use of dogs is a metaphor that's all throughout Scripture. Uh, the beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision from Philip Philippians. Uh, you know, he said, even to the Gentile woman who, you know, asked for a blessing, and she, he says, you know, hey, I'm here for Israel. And she said, even the dogs get the scraps. And he turns and looks at her and he goes, good answer, kiddo. Cause, you know, he knows what's coming for the Gentiles. He knows. He knows that the Holy Spirit's coming and that Paul's coming. God already knows. He has... He's here to take care of this part, just like Scripture says. He is fulfilling Scripture. He is doing what Scripture says he came to do. The Gentiles are going to be taken care of. That's us. As a matter of fact, in, in uh, this chapter, we'll see where he speaks to us. Uh, Revelations, it says, Outside the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the dollars and everyone who practices lying. So, there's a connotation about dogs being uh, spiritually wicked. Uh, and I don't know why they use dogs for that. Dogs are kind of nice, but it was known for them. So I'm just telling you, in that society at that time, it was a it was an insult. Uh, so just remember that when you see it. Okay, verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Now this comes right after it says, you know. Uh, you're wondering, well, what does this have to do with verse 6, you know, or are we changing tack here? Remember, verse 6 says, Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So they'll ignore it. They'll hurt the message, and then they'll come after you. And then it says, verse 7, there's a lot of stuff between it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. Uh, this is you. This isn't, he's going from what you're presenting to other people to what you're presenting to God. Uh, this isn't about a ministry to anybody. This is about you and how your relationship to God and what God thinks of you and how you interact with God. Jesus' message returns to prayer and seeking God. This time he addresses our attitude and our faith. Not what we pray for or where we pray, but expectation and belief in prayer, what we call faith. Uh, it's possible that this verse has some points to it uh, about the casting pearls and giving what is holy to, uh, you know, to holy to people who shouldn't be holy. This may be asking God for those pearls and the holy things. Uh, this may be him reference to okay don't give the pearls to them this is how you get the pearls you you're the ones who this is about and honestly before you tackle anybody else's spiritual situation remember you're always responsible for your own uh, if you take care of yourself if you keep yourself humble before god and humble before men then god can use you uh, we spend a whole lot of time worrying about what the world's doing what other people are doing. And I remind you once again, there is no ministry of complaining. There is no ministry of, I'll just use the word plainly, I'm sorry, but bitching. It doesn't exist. Uh, there's nowhere where scripture gives someone, you know, that ministry to point out the faults of others. Um, if they're there, you deal with them. But what you're supposed to do is deal with your own. What we are to do is ask, seek, and knock. Now, what God what God will make sure happens in response. Get what you ask for, find what you seek, and open the door that was closed. 
If you do these three things, God, if you do this, God will do that. This is Jesus talking. Each point is more action-oriented and forceful. So it starts out here, it ends up there. Start with asking, end with knocking. Or before you knock, seek. Before you seek, ask. <laughs> before you go pursuing something, ask God if it's his will. You know, uh, you could knock and seek all day long if it's not something God wants for you. You're wasting your time. You're spinning your wheels. So start there. Um, you know, we can find ourselves going down a rabbit hole pursuing something that God never sent us out to pursue. And, and there's a lot of things you could pursue that are what we'll just call neutral. It doesn't matter. You know, go ahead. If you think you want that, go try it. And God doesn't really care. I, I don't know how else to put it unless you put it in front of him. It's it's moot, spiritually moot. Um, if there's something you think that would make life better or church better or something better and, and you think it could be done, then go ahead and pursue it. Um, now, that's totally different than if God told you to do something. If God told you to do something, then it's a whole different ballgame. So you start with asking. And if God's indifferent to it, you know, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. He'll let you know. You know, sure, go ahead and try. Um, this is not telling us that faith will procure for us everything we desire. Man, there are so many warnings about this. Uh, it is This is telling us to trust God and to do our part. Asking, which means you're putting it in. When you're asking him, you're taking your will out of it and you're putting his will in front of yours. It's the prayer of prayers, as Mark, we always say, your will, not mine, is how you should start every prayer. Um... Asking, seeking, and knocking are all efforts made by us that we're supposed to do. Ask God his will for you, which means pray. Seek it out. Put forth the effort. If you ask him and he gives you a lead, then pursue it. Uh, when you believe you found it, knock on the door. Uh, do it. Um, the one who locked the door is the one who could open it. Uh, the one who can open every door is God. And if it's a door that he wants you to go through, he will open it. Only God can open the door to his kingdom that sin has shut, shut, us, uh, shut out from us. Only we can open the door to our hearts that sin has shut him out of. This is why scripture says both. We knock and he knocks. Remember, it says, he's, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So both of us are knocking. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. We are knocking on the door of his will. And as long as those things are happening, good things will happen to all of us. There will be blessing. This isn't about gaining stuff. Once again, this is about truth and righteousness. It's not a formula to get what you want. It's a formula to find out what is worth wanting. And what matters, what God wants you to do. That's what this is about. And as long as that's your heart, you know, it'll work. It will. And, um, well, we, we have a new visitor here. Is that Benny? Hey, Ben. Um, verse 11 qualifies this by saying, what is good? Children ask their parents for a lot of silly or even harmful things. A father gives them things that are good for them. So there's a little, uh, even if you're asking for something stupid, God's not going to give it to you because he loves you and he's protecting you. Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14. 
uh, remember we're talking about uh, ask, seek, knock. These are the three things that we need to do. As far as seek goes, uh, you will seek me when you you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. That's Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen and fourteen. Um, when you search for me with all your heart, what's what you really want? When you really want Him, when you're not seeking Him for some other reason, if you're not seeking Him to get what you want, but if you're seeking Him to want it because you want to know what He wants, what He wants to say to you, what He wants you to do then you'll find him. Other than that, he's just not listening to anything else. If you, if these are things where, you know, you're trying to find, get God to do something, to do your will, instead of having you doing his will, he just isn't listening. You could seek all you want, you're not going to find it until this happens. 1 John 5, 14-15, asking with a qualifier. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, uh, that hearing us, God inclining his ear, what it's telling you is if you ask for things that are not according to his will, he isn't listening. Uh, yes, he hears, but he's not really paying attention. He's not responding to it, is what we're saying. But that according to his will part, is really important uh, and if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask according to his will we know that we have the request which we have asked from him so when you go and you talk to God and if you start out with Lord what's your will what do you want us to do what do you want me to do and you start out with that and that's your asking you could rest assured you're gonna get an answer uh, John 15 7 another qualifier if you abide in me and my word abides in you. You know my word. You live my word. You have it. It's part of your life. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Whatever you wish. But the qualifier is if you abide in God and his word abides in you, then, because you're not going to ask for stupid stuff. First uh, John 3.22, ask with a qualifier. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because... We keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Uh, <laughs> if you live righteously, well, what does scripture say? The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, so, Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come unto him and dine with him and he with me. That is God knocking and like I had pointed out, not only are we to knock, but God is, while we're knocking, God's knocking back. Um, Luke uh, twelve thirty six. Be like the men who are waiting for their master when he returns to the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Uh, what a sweet thing. And if you do that, if you answer that door when he knocks, and I use this at funerals all the time because... That's a time when God is almost always knocking. Uh, because you can hear the knock. Because most of the other crap that this world puts out there has been stripped away. And you're looking at someone you love that's dead. And you see the end of all things in for yourself. So it becomes kind of important and it sort of drowns out everything else. And you could hear that knock. And I always run this verse through there. Verse 8. 4. 
everyone who asks receives, and him who seeks finds, and him who knocks it will be opened. So there they are again, ask, seek, knock. And it all starts with asking God for his will. So if you ask God for his will, uh, you, you'll seek it, you'll find what you're seeking, and the door will be open to you to the will of the heart of God. God will always honor his promises to anyone, any who do these things. Everyone without exception will find, be given, and have the door open to them. The next verse tells us why God be counted on to fulfill his word here. Because he loves us and desires for us to be all to be saved and to walk in his way. So, after he tells us what to do, he tells us why it's going to work. He gives us the hope of why we should be doing this. He, in verse 9 he says, Or what man is there among you who when a son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Uh, I believe uh, 10 goes with that. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So, in other words, God cares for you. You think he's going to hurt you is what Jesus is basically saying. Stone has no value for what is needed. It's something that won't satisfy you. It's a rock. It, it, throw it out in the yard. Let it sit there. One may look like the other, but God knows what is good. I mean, I guess you could look at a stone and it could look like a loaf of bread, but... A stone, when bread is needed, simply mocks our need, and that's not God. Hey, what's up, Frank? Sometimes we just want to see something, even if it's a stone. Sometimes we even ask for a stone. God is hesitant to give it to us. Uh, let me give you an example of that. Uh, you guys remember Hezekiah, the, the good king Hezekiah? Hezekiah uh, was a good king. He was... There are very few kings where God said, the scripture said he was a good king. So when it says that he was a good king, you, you take it kind of seriously. Now, Hezekiah, the Lord gave Hezekiah a heads up. He sends a prophet, and the prophet said, Hey, buddy, get your house in order. Your end is near. You're going to die soon. Well, Hezekiah flips out, pleads with God. I mean, laments. God, remember when I did this? Remember when I... You know, calls on his own righteousness. You know, respond to my righteousness, Lord, and says, you know, let me live longer. And God hears him, and he gives him a stone. <laughs> I mean, this isn't bread. He said, okay, and he sends turns sends the prophet back, and he was Elijah, and I think, and uh, he said, okay, you, you get. I think it was I don't remember how many years it was, seven or something like that. Fifteen. Was it fifteen? Okay, thank you, and. Um, in those 15 years, he falls apart. He just loses his spiritual. Uh, and there's a, I mean, it all just turns to crap. It just, he does everything he shouldn't do. He could have went out as a winner. And the Lord comes to him and says, you know, because you screwed all this stuff up, you know, uh, it's, it's all going to be taken away. And he ends up saying these words that are, man, it just breaks your heart. He said, well, as long as it won't happen in my lifetime, it'll happen in the lifetime of my kids. Uh, wow. That was that was a stone. He should have just let the Lord, your will, not mine, would have really been a, a great prayer to pray. Um, so, that's what I said. You know, well, sometimes the Lord wants to give us bread and we ask for a stone. Uh, sometimes we just want to see something, even if it's a stone. Jesus links the natural feeling of care that a man towards his child has to God in us. This is giving us 
once again, this is giving us the reason why we should ask, seek, and knock. Because the reason that's going to work is because God loves you. Um, and then he moves on to the fish. And, and, and uh, the snake is dangerous. Uh, so God doesn't mock our needs as people would uh, know that. Um, if something's coming your way that seems harsh, when you ask for something that you think will be good and it appears to be harsh, and you get upset and you're wondering, why are you doing this to me? Why would you give me a snake when I ask for a fish? God never gives you a snake. It's always a fish. It's always what you need. Uh, because once again, remember, all these prayers are based on if it's his will, uh, you know, it's for your good. And he want much, well, look at Hezekiah, you know, you're going to die. And like, he didn't see that as good news. You know what I mean? And if you compare him to the very next uh, king, Josiah, and see how the difference was, you'll see how this prayer all works out. Because Josiah was told he was going to die. And it says, Josiah never prayed any of that. He just went and did everything he could do to please the Lord. He lived uh, the best he possibly could until his time came. There wasn't one request for another day or anything. And he became a very well-known and uh, respected king of Israel. And a great lesson for all Christians. Verse 11. If you then, being evil... <laughs> Jesus turns to us and says, look, guys, if even you guys do it, we're talking about God here. Know how, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus openly proclaims that it is a, a given that we are evil. He states it as a matter of fact. Uh, that's not a, you could take that little opening there and apply it to your big the your big theology. That one applies to what we are. I mean, it wasn't the purpose of the statement, but it's in there and it's powerful. Uh, you then being evil. Uh, yeah, that's us. Uh, he says that as a matter of fact, as if there's no, there's no dispute, there's no debate. Uh, Jesus once again uses the title Father, for God to give us an understanding of who he is to us. It, it, Father is all through this sermon. And I will once again tell you, if people... I will try to help people out if they tell me to try to degenderize God or the church or anything. I'll try as much as I can, but uh, I don't want to insult people. I want them to hear the message. But Father's too important to me. Uh, and you know, so the best thing to do is to preach it and teach it as it should be, so there's at least an understanding of why you're saying it. Romans eight thirty two says, "And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things?" <laughs> what he's saying is, I get God gave you the most valuable thing He had. Uh, he just gave it over to you. So why are you doubting him when it comes to, Lord, help me get past this sin. Help me to uh, do the thing you've called me to do. Why are you doubting him there when he's already given you? He's proven what he's going to do. James 1.17, 
Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. There's Father again, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. In other words, it will always has been, it always will be. Every good thing. Verse 12. He moves on. In everything, therefore, treat people. So we were just talking about talk, asking God what we should do. Ask, seek, knock. Uh, each progressive, starting with asking God, what do you want me to do? Uh, then seeking it out. And then when you get when you find it, knock on the door. So we've gone from that to verse 12. It says, in everything, therefore, the therefore connecting back to what we just talked about, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law of the prophets. There's that part about us being evil and uh, the Father giving us good things. And as I stated, there's that beautiful little scripture verse uh, that says, the prayers of a righteous man availeth mu accomplish much. You can link it to that. Uh, this is a lesson that seems to just uh, rip deeply past prayer. Uh, even if you're not praying, this is a truth that applies. Uh, for this is the law and the prophets. He makes it very simple. And much of this is very simple. Um, if you go to the great judgment where Jesus says, I am separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep come with me. The goats are sent away from me. Uh, and then he explains how he tells the difference between the sheep and the goats. It has a lot to do with this. There is no deep theology there. It's just simple. Of course, from there, the theology expands out. But you got to start there. Uh, not in the way you or they deserve to be treated, but in the way you want to be treated. Not in the way they deserve to be treated, but in the way you want to be treated. If you do this, you will be following and accomplishing the demands of the law through such things as this. Righteousness is proven. Uh, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Uh, this is a pretty dire statement. Um, and it is some, and he expands on this a couple verses later. Uh, he talks about that many and few. Um, I know he is not willing that any should perish, but what he's saying is there's people who just are going to refuse to go through the gate to walk the narrow road. They're just going to refuse to do it. This verse begins the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. So with this one, we're sort of winding it down. It takes a few verses, quite a while to do it. But uh, and he's starting, So we, we're looking at how to talk to God, then we're looking at how to act, and then we're looking at uh, some great truths and realities of life. Uh, from 13 to 27 is basically a conclusion of the message. It speaks to righteousness and uses the many versus the few to drive the lesson home. Uh, the many take the path of temporal gain. The few take the path of temporal cost for eternal gain. On the narrow road, you pay the toll when you get on it. On the broad road, you pay the toll when it ends. 
few people choose to pay now. They're always saying, oh, well, I'll deal with it when it comes. Either way, you end up where the path you chose leads you. Often, we choose our path based on the difficulty of the road instead of the destination. And that's foolishness. And sometimes it takes a lot of living and a lot of failing and a lot of pain to see that. Um, but God will put out all the effort for you to see it, to get you over onto the narrow road. Um, because there will come a point in time where you'll get tired of that broad road. You'll just see that there's nothing there. It's leading to nowhere. You will start to understand that at some point in time in your life. And you'll either switch roads or you'll just delude yourself further uh, with all kinds of things. Money, accomplishment, drugs, alcohol, whatever. Uh, because you see the futileness of it. You, you see what Solomon saw. That on that road, it's vanity of vanities. And when the trip ends, many will lament. But remember, both roads are open to everybody. Our idea of inclusion uh, have no effect on God's judgment. God doesn't really care what our philosophies are. Righteousness is not what we say it is. You can't go on the broad road and tell God you're on the narrow road. God knows the difference between the two. Salvation through grace is available to any who repent, and it's open to none who refuse to. It is the defining factor. The Broadway is most likely a reference to living like the religious leaders do, because remember, this, they are still a topic here. Symbolic religious righteousness, not true righteousness. As long as I go to church, say grace, get baptized, and take communion, I'm on the narrow road. No, all those things you can find on the broad road. Uh, it's, yeah. I go to heaven. Luke thirteen twenty three through uh, 28. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. How many? Many. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open it up to us. And he will answer and say to you, I don't know where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. I went to church. And you taught in our streets. I, I heard sermons. And he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me. All you evildoers. In that place where they're... In that place, where they're departing to, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is everywhere. It is... I don't preach about it much. Maybe I should once in a while. It's been a long time since I taught with, you know, talked about punishment and wrath and all that stuff. Uh, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, but you yourself will be thrown out. Once again, there it is in eternity, the separation between them coming to me, you being thrown out. Out of what? Out of the presence of God. Out of the presence of God, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. 14. For the gate is small, 
and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Uh, so, if your theology doesn't believe that, then you have to contend with Christ. Uh, it's crystal clear. Um, many who walk the wrong path, few who find the right. There are few is not a limit put by God. It's a limit that we impose on ourselves. It's our choice. It's there to be found. It's not hidden by God. It's obscured by our eyes of pride. We label the broad way the narrow way and expect God to change the destination of our broad way to meet our expectations and desires. Jesus makes it very clear it ain't so. He lays down the facts of the kingdom and leaves us to deal with the facts. Then he goes on. He says a very hard truth. He tells you narrow, broad, the gate is a tiny one. And then he says one of the problems about finding the narrow way. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Let's see where we're at. So one of the things that keeps you on that broad path and off the narrow is there are people out there who are actively trying to keep you from the narrow way, who are actually trying to bring you to the weeping and gnashing of teeth. So after speaking the hard truth about the kingdom, Jesus warns us about the ones who will tell us the truth he just gave is wrong. They will tell you Jesus didn't get it right, or they'll try to skirt around it, or they'll try to give you something to say that that's not what he meant. Uh, time and time again. If it was just once, I, I would see looking, but it's constant. It, it's everywhere. Uh, the one who will claim that the broad way is the way to salvation. This message seems pleasant and harmless. It tickles our ears, but in the end, it devours those who accept it. They claim the narrow way isn't inclusive enough and that the broad way is acceptable because God loves you and that Jesus got it wrong. This same warning is so important that all three books of the Bible are largely, the three of the books of the Bible are largely dedicated to it. And we, we just studied all three of them. First and Second Peter and Jude deal with this topic. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Okay. Um, there will be many telling you to leave the narrow and demanding and demanding path that you're walking on to come on over to the broad path where prosperity and your desires line the way. The road that doesn't cost you until the end. Because it's our nature to want to put off payment. It just... It's why so few people actually invest wisely. I would rather buy something now than invest in the future. It's very hard to do. Uh... If they teaching, if they are teaching nothing but wealth, health, and happiness, doing what you want, stop listening to them. They're wolves, and they want to chew you up. Uh, we'll end up. We'll quit right there, and I will. That is verse fifteen, 
and x20. Okay, let me let me write that down. And I'll stop this.